I remember one really quick moment in high school when I was rushing out of a classroom and I bumped into a white student and he swore at me, you effing gook. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm not like he didn't even know. I don't you know, I wanted I, I didn't even know what to do with that, honestly, in yeah. the moment. But the realization that I was other and not white and that there was a, a, a negative term to be used for me that that identified me. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. What up, folks? It's Leroy Barber for the Sit Up Podcast, and uh, we are glad you're with us and uh, following us along on this journey uh, around looking at sports and innovation, talking theology, looking at the ugly, the injustice of our world, and uh, presenting that in public discourse. Thankful that you're following along. Remember, you can find us on Facebook uh, at Sit Up Podcast. You can also Send me some questions or comments at Leroy Barber on Twitter or on Instagram, as well as my Facebook page. I got some questions about the intro music that uh, is a part of our podcast. And I want to definitely give a shout out to uh, Matt, Matt Owen and Amina Brown uh, for allowing us to use their work. It's a part of an EP called Soul Graffiti. Check it out. Matt and Amina Brown Owen. Uh, Soul Graffiti is an EP you can find on iTunes. So today, what uh, what is what is your identity? How do you identify? An important question for today. What is your identity if you were a person of color and you're adopted by a white family? How does your identity emerge? Who, like, who is there on the inside? What, what happens when negative terms are thrown at you for the first time as a person of color and you were adopted by a white family? What, what happens internally? The other, the other... Other question is, what if, what, what if you uh, are an adopted person of color and you're an innovator? You have ideas inside of you. You uh, you create, you, uh, you're a starter, you're an entrepreneur, and you're in a person of color in this space where you're thinking about your identity emerging in this place. Is it is it class? Is it race? Right? Is it gender? A woman of color, pastoring, thinking about identity as an innovator. It's good stuff. How does that relate to church? What is what does church mean in the culture today? Is church even relevant in the ways many people think about it? So here's some things. Is an organ relevant anymore as part of church expression? What about a choir? Right? There are a lot of worship teams, but what about choir? Is that still relevant for folks? How about Sunday school? Right? How, how many of you have been to Sunday school lately? 
Does your church have pews? Do you need pews? What place do pews play? What about hymns? You sing hymns? You sing worship songs? You have a worship team? Do you put the words up on the screen, right? There are all these questions about church and culture today. And what does that look like in various cultures? What about if you're raising black kids and you're not black? What happens in that space for you? How do you raise a child that is not of the culture and racial identity of yourself? What if you are a child who is being raised in that space? How's your identity formed? And how does that relate to church? How does that relate to God? How does that relate to theology in your life? What happens uh, when that child or someone in, in the community where you are is harmed, say a black man killed, and you're in, a, you're, you're, you're in the middle of a space that's not of your culture, but you identify with the person who was killed, but you're in an all-white space. These are things to think about. Our guest today uh, is going to be Sonia. And Sonia is a pastor, a woman of color, an innovator, uh, and uh, I think just a fantastic leader of our times. Sonia Gibbs is going to be with us. This is Leroy Barber. This is the Sit Up Podcast, and we'll be right back. Nothing leaves a mark like wounds do, but the funny thing about wounds is given time to heal, they make the most beautiful tattoos. Some people call them scars. But in the eyes of the right beholder, they can be art. Love doesn't keep secrets. Love chooses to see. Forgiving and accepting that you've been forgiven can set you free. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath. Counts of ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Welcome into the Sit Up Podcast. I'm the producer of the Sit Up Podcast, Andrew Morgan, in here for Leroy Barber. We are live from Tampa, Florida at the Voices Conference, and we've pulled a few different people aside that are innovators. As you know, SITUP stands for Sports Innovation, uh, Theology, The Ugly, uh, and P is for Public Discourse. So we're going to talk a little bit about innovation as we're here talking to different leaders in their community. And so today I have a leader in the uh, community in which I dwell in, as well as Leroy in the uh, Portland, uh, Oregon area. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Hey, my name is Sonia. Yeah, and I'm in Portland. Been there for, it'll be 12 years this summer. What exactly is it that you do? Um, oh, that's a great question. I do a lot of things, but I guess primarily I'm a pastor, co-pastor, um, a faith community in Southwest uh, Portland, John's Landing neighborhood. And then I'm also an artist and a musician. I do things along those lines as well. So when it comes to the uh, the idea of like innovation, how does that really play into uh, who you are as an individual? Oh, man, um, this is a really good question as well. Um, I would say 
I, I am, I'm an activator. I'm an entrepreneurial person. And so, um, I love trying new things. I get ideas. I like to try them out. So, um, I think I've always kind of always enjoyed reimagining some of the, um, things like sacred space, churches, how to do church life, art, music, I don't know, all those, uh, I think about things creatively and, and, and want to reimagine them. How important is that to reimagine church, uh, in the, in the era that we live in now? Well, for me, um, I, I think it, it, it's very contextual. So when I think about Portland and I think about a majority of the young adults, for example, who I meet, um, are running away from tradition. They're, they're running away from families. They're running away from organized religion. Um, and, and so when they come to Portland, um, I think the innovation is in, in reimagining and rethinking what um, church is. And and for me, it's a lot of unpacking and taking away from maybe church culture and trying to um, get to the necessities and the simplicity, but profoundness of the gospel and of, of what it means to be the church. Um, so uh, it's a lot of stripping away, um, which uh, could, could also, I guess, be minimalist, but it's, a, yeah, different ways of thinking about how to be and what? presenting. So what's your church background? Like, how did you come to this place where you're leading? I I grew up in um, faith in church. I was at church Sundays, Wednesdays, anytime it was open. <laughs> so church culture, church yeah. life was totally what I grew up in. Church music, church language. Um, went to a, uh, a Bible college um, in Minneapolis. Um, studied to be in vocational ministry. Um, kind of went along that path. Ended up in in church planting, music ministry, and, um, landed in, uh, an organization called Chi Alpha where I was working with university students. And I, I, uh, being in that environment energized me. I loved being with students. I loved being in, um, um, non church culture settings and being able to reframe and, uh, I don't know, re- represent, um, the love of God in those spaces. So that's kind of how I ended up here. You said earlier that you were a co-pastor. Kind of explain yeah. that situation. Yeah. So uh, my husband Paul and I, I think pretty, I don't know, we share um, the responsibilities of of leading a faith community, um, and our family. We we co we co all the things, co-parent, co uh, everything. So um, yeah, we should we team we do a lot of team speaking and uh, we lead worship together musically and yeah we. Just, uh, share life with our community together. How important is that to you and him to be able to do that? Very important. And, and I don't even know that it was honestly on, on my part, it wasn't necessarily a intentional. I didn't set out to arrive in this particular spot, but I think we just, we connected over music. He was a guitar player at the time I played piano and we were leading worship together and it, it just sort of became uh, us doing things to, together. Um, and our whole lives have been, um, collaborative in that way. So we're here at this Voices Conference. There is a specific dynamic mm-hmm. uh, that we've been focused in on this mm-hmm. uh, for this few days here. And it's been kind of uh, putting together the Asian culture and the mm-hmm. African-American culture. Why is this important in your life? Oh, my goodness. Um, this is something that is honestly relatively new for me. Um, I was actually just thinking about how this is the first time I've been in space that has not been white space. And um, being um, an adoptee, I'm Korean, but was adopted when I was an infant, grew up 
raised in white culture, honestly thought and considered myself white. <laughs> so, um, and, and recognizing that I obviously present as Asian, as Korean, um, uh, and what that means. And, and, um, so being in this space, um, is it's, I don't, I'm still developing language honestly yeah. for it and, and, and how to, but I'm having my own self-discovery, honestly. Um, this is part of the journey for me. What was one of the first times that someone, or not even if it came external, even if it was internal, what was one of the first times you realized you are Korean? Like that that white space, that white world is not yours. Oh, um, I mean, a couple moments. I remember one really quick moment in high school when I was rushing out of a classroom and I bumped into a white student and he swore at me, you effing gook. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm not like he didn't even know. I don't you know, I wanted I, I didn't even know what to do with that, honestly, in yeah. the moment. But the realization that I was other and not white and that there was a, a, a negative term to be used for me that that identified me in an ethnic way, which wasn't was, you know, misappropriated. <laughs> but um, and then there was a time I was at a actually at a, a gospel music black gospel music function and there was thousands of people in the room and I leaned over to my white husband and um, I said, we're the only white people here. That's what I said to him. And he was like, no, I'm the only white person here. And that was just another moment where I realized how much in my thinking I had, how, what, how I perceived myself. Yeah. yeah. And those are some sobering moments. Um, now I know you personally because I attend, I attend your church. Mm -hmm. So I can't pretend as though I don't know you. <laughs> Um, tell me a little bit about having, if, if you feel comfortable about having Dominique in your life. Oh, I, uh, he's, um, our, uh, our, uh, adopt now adopted, uh, foster kiddo and, um, his mother is black and we, um, she thinks that his father was white and, um, yeah, we, we've adopted him and, um, I would say that there is a greater um awareness and um uh processing and um uh um in so many ways the privilege of distance is gone in my life and so i, I it's there's an it's not other right this is my son and and how do i how do i how do i how do i have other mentors and people around him that look like him in his life. How do I, I don't know. I struggle with his hair, you know, like I'm an Asian. I have this like straight, you know, and I remember the first time of being like, I put oil in his hair. I don't know. There are these like little <laughs> things, but I also think, I think about his future. I think about him, you know, driving a car. I think about him interacting and walking around the streets of Portland and how will people respond to him and what will he be perceived like it's, it's changed how I'm thinking and how I'm parenting. Yeah, parenting, black parenting is different. Yeah. And so it is a, a unique experience that you have to get used to. You know, I have daughters mm -hmm. and I'm just as concerned about them disappearing into sex trafficking, mm -hmm. you know, being kidnapped or something and not getting the same level of care mm -hmm. from police or mm -hmm. you know, all these different things. So it, it is a different space to uh, to kind of live in. But what are some of the maybe you picked up some here, uh, but what have what are some of the commonalities that you you do see between the Asian culture or, and and black culture? Just I think of what you, what you were just saying. I think just recognizing that we 
just not being white, not being dominant culture. And um, uh, just the, the awareness of that in, in the session I was just in with in our affinity groups, um, um, Kathy Kong was saying that she would remind her children, she's Korean American, and she would remind her children, you are not white. And I think um, I had thought I was like, wow, my parents never taught me that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, yeah, I think learning to operate and I don't know, for me, I'm such an idealist and I feel like it's so unjust that I have to. I have to, I will be teaching Dominic something different than I taught my other, my Asian, my half white, half Asian son that there's a part of it for me that feels wrong, but I acknowledge it. And I am depending on my friends like Vilin. I'm depending on you all to stay around the crows forever. No, I just want, I want people to be in his life who he can, um, yeah. yeah, learn from and see and and people who will speak differently and have a different kind of um, honestly a, an authoritative, uh, you know, uh, space in his life that I can't have. Yeah. And so when it comes to I hope you're signing that agreement, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like him. I, I, he, he has my personality. So I, I sit I in so I sit in a space with him and we have an agreement. We don't need to do much. Yeah. And we've enjoyed our time. Together. I love it. I love so, it. It's one of my favorite things. So for me, we we experienced something in the Groves and you had mentioned this earlier. We were uh, together at an event mm-hmm. that I don't know if that was the first time you really had had many interactions with Leroy Barber. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the first time I'd had a personal interaction mm-hmm. with them. And uh, at the same time, we were in that space um, at the Love Thy Neighbor conference. Yeah. Um, we had also at the church lost. Jason Washington that that's the night before and that has been something that has been difficult to navigate um and and, in different spaces my my past as a police chaplain Mm -hmm. I was kind of not numb but I experienced navigating with people who had Mm -hmm. lost their life to the police Mm -hmm. and so um or families who had you know Mm -hmm. lost a loved one to the police or Mm -hmm. and, and how has this shaped your ministry? How has this mm-hmm. shaped your personal walk? How has this shaped that this this egregious and you know uh, I only want to say incident because it was it was mm-hmm. murder. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not you know I don't mm-hmm. want to give it a softer name. Mm-hmm. You know how has that mm-hmm. shaped you? Um. Well, first I would say that everything is definitely still in process, and I'm still processing. I don't even know that I have language, but it has changed everything, and um, I can't. I can't sing the same songs. I can't, um, I can't write a sermon and not think about how Michelle and the girls and part of her family will be in that worship gathering with us. And so, um, there's a lot of non-closure. There's a lot of, um, grief still. And, um, uh, it, it's it's a constant uh, wait. I, I'm it's a lament. I've joined a lament that's been mm-hmm. ongoing, you know. And I think that um, the the first one of the first phrases that came to mind was what I said earlier, which is that the privilege of distance is gone. This didn't happen somewhere else. This wasn't in Chicago. This wasn't in some other setting. Uh, it was in Florida. It was right in my at my alma mater, the college I graduated from, the college that I was a Chi Alpha. A missionary at the university that is in my neighborhood and in my backyard. And it happened to our friends and our community. And, um, uh, yeah, there, there's just no more distance. 
I think for me, as I process that, one of the things that I recognized for the community was that not uh, this was one of those beautiful times where you had to understand that not all black people are monolith. Like we don't all, we're not all. And Jason yeah, yeah. was, and yeah. this is why I describe it as a beautiful moment. When you have to celebrate a person's life, you begin to look at who they were as an individual mm -hmm. or who they are. Mm -hmm. And um, he was an individual that you couldn't put into a box absolutely, and say, oh, he was this way. Right. He was everything that you would say a patriot should be. Absolutely. And so you couldn't, like you said. A veteran. He loved yeah. the police department. He yeah. wanted to be a police officer. That was one of his... Yeah. 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 So you have to surrender that that apathetic nature of just saying, well, he's a thug or he, yeah. he had the potential of being one. Yeah. He was literally, you know, like when you watch the, the, the footage, you could see that he was actually yeah. keeping peace. Like he, he was. was doing what Jesus called us to do. Yeah. And I think that that made it hard to process. But it also mm -hmm. removed any type for me. It removed anyone's you know, uh, just apathy. They had mm -hmm. to do something. Mm -hmm. And so the other part of processing that it took a while for God to just show me this for our community was mm -hmm. that yes, white fragility is real, but mm -hmm. you're not too fragile with Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's yes. like, you can actually handle processing this. You can sit mm -hmm. uncomfortable mm -hmm. and be yeah. okay. Yeah. That's and I, so good. And I think that was one of the harder parts for me to have to process as a as a minister, because it's like, well, God, I don't want to tell him this. <laughs> and I remember I I had to speak shortly after Jason had passed away. And uh, he told me to to the only message he gave me is you got to talk about lament. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the more difficult things mm -hmm. to do, to look directly in his wife's eyes and talk yeah. about you, you know, and go to scripture. Yeah. And go to Job and, and talk about what a lament looks like. Yeah. I, I, I pull pop culture references and, and quoted Trip Lee. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes. but, but it was the best way that I could process it. So as yeah. a community, um, those are the type of spaces that you want to continue mm -hmm. to thrive in where mm -hmm. real things happen. Mm -hmm. You may not have answers, but you're willing to let whoever God is yes. using to be used. Yeah. So how important is it mm -hmm. to keep that type of idea and ministry open because you and your husband co-pastor, but how important is it for you to form teams and, and allow God to send people in to minister? Yeah, I, it, it is extremely important. And I think I am learning and trying to learn. I mean, we're, yeah, we're learning how to do that and, and, um, and how to be uncomfortable. I think, well, you know, we're, we're, we, I just pulled up, you know, we were just in a session about white supremacy. I think one of the components of that is this, like, is um, hierarchy, perfectionism, you know, I don't, I just, and, and an inability to let go. It's, it want, it's a, uh, we want to control. And I think that's one of the lies and one of the deceits and one of the, uh, it's something that can get in the way of shared, sharing space and giving up, um, yeah, get, provide, creating space and giving up your own power, divesting your own, um, yeah, position and power to make space for others. And yeah. it, it's been a reoccurring theme in this conversation we've had. You you expressed that same desire with uh, describing your parenting strategy for Dominique's upbringing mm -hmm. that you you willing to surrender to those he could identify with. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this repeated in in the ministry pattern that you've mm -hmm. expressed. 
So how important is, is that surrender to you in ministry as a whole? Like, where did that come from? Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know. I think it's something that I'm honestly learning. And I, I mean, obviously if, if we're, if we're trying to follow Jesus, <laughs> then it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, a life of, of surrender. Um, and I, I, I guess on a practical level, it's, it's coming to the end of self, right? Like yeah. this happened with Jason. I, I am we uh, going being a foster parent for several years and um, interacting with families and realizing that I had really nothing to offer. You know, no solutions, no way that I could tie that up in a nice bow and 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 make it. I can't fix any scenarios. Um, and then this scenario, uh, not this Jason being murdered, um, and and coming to the. I don't have answers. I you know there are no quick solutions. I have to sit in that uncomfortability and I have to surrender and I have to let go and recognize that there are other people around me who can better speak and have wisdom and have things to say. Um, and I know that, I know that I've always known that in my head and wanted to believe that, but it is another thing to, uh, to put it into practice because it's, it's letting go of control and being okay with not having all the answers, which as a Asian, <laughs> I think it's really hard because I want, I want to get straight A's <laughs> and I want to get it all perfectly. And I want to have all the answers that's, and as a minister, I mean, definitely in my upbringing, so I should have the answers. <laughs> we've talked, uh, we've talked ministry, we've talked personal life and hurt. Uh, what about the joy? What about your art? Tell us mm. a little bit about that. Yeah. Art is, um, has been a, a new thing in my life. Painting. I am abstract painter, also musician, piano player, singer, songwriter. So, um, I've, done music for a long time, but painting is something that is new um, and emerged out of a, a relationship with uh, another parent at a school. And anyway, um, it has it is something that was surprising, came up out of nowhere and has given me lots of opportunities to travel, um, painting for um, commission paintings for organizations, businesses, individuals. Um, it is my output. It's how I process. So um, as things come in, as life happens, whether it's joy or pain, um, the outlet has been creative writing songs, painting art. Yeah. yeah. What about the flower arrangements? Where'd, oh, that, yeah. where'd that come from? Flowers. Um, basically, uh, 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 there's this, uh, Frank wine bar that's at the South waterfront. I was hanging, I've been having, I've had art up there for four years and, at, um, started taking a couple shifts down there on the weekends. And I was complaining that there were no flowers. And actually the name of the shop is Frank wine and flower. And I was like, where are the flowers? Where are the flowers? So I, I was asking like literally every other week. And finally the owner was like, well, if you want flowers so bad, why don't you do it? And I was like, well, how hard can that be? So anyway, that's how I got into flower arranging, um, Google and YouTube and Instagram just found, you know, flower arrangements that I love and started copying them. And then, yeah, started that little small business. <laughs> yeah. All right. So last question, what's, what's next? What is the, um, what's on the horizon? Mm. What's, what's your hopes, wishes, dreams? What's next for the, for the innovative, uh, innovative mind that you have? Oh man. Well, currently I'm spinning a lot of plates and what I'm hoping is that those, um, hoping and, and, uh, working hard at trying to get a few of those into one space and kind of one, um, entity. So, um, I'm working hard to, uh, for our Groves community, um, to be the expression that I, I dream that it will be, um, embedded in, uh, in Portland and, um, on, on that local level. And then, um, with art and music, I'm, uh, been partnering with Parish Collective and, um, some other organizations and I'm, I'm getting ready to do some 
touring and traveling and sharing what I've created and hopefully activating and inspiring other people to do the same in their neighborhoods and in their spaces. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on the Sit Up Podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Too young to die, too old to live for nothing. Face forward, make sure you ain't fine. Running life's race means starting something. Each day, new beginning, rise with the sun. And put on your kicks, cause life's a trip. I don't run alone, cause I'm known to slip. I used to think the chrome was the way to live. Till I saw too many in before they could begin. Stop everything and reposition. Let your soul grow, think the mission. Let the world know that you mean there's a difference between plans and wishes Now let that sink in You are what you is cause of your thinking Live life like you know the clock's ticking On your mark, get set, ready, let's begin Let's begin, let's begin, let's begin.